I've been doing some reading, and it's been really encouraging me, and I want to pass that along to you, uh, because I believe that encouragement is as contagious as discouragement. Uh, We can get around some discouraging people, can't we? And if we hang around them long enough, what happens to us? We become discouraged. And so whenever I come across something that encourages me, I think it behooves me as a pastor to kind of hand it along uh, to as many people as I can. And I think our church needs encouragement. I think it always needs encouragement. But I think uh, specifically just the things that we're going to talk about, I think, are a good realization for us again. And it's a good time to press the reset button. It's just the first kind of quarter of summer. And uh, it's time for us to just make sure that we are still uh, doing what God wants us to do. We're still in the fight. We're still engaged in spiritual things. Because sometimes, let's face it, since we were, since we got out of school, out of elementary school, out of high school, summertime is a disengaged time. Uh, it, it's kind of a relaxing time. It's kind of a well, you know, I. I, I, I always hit it strong for the first three months or four or five months of the year, and then I just kind of take the summer off. Well, you know, as a Christian, we're never not a Christian. And the, the devil's never not the devil, and, and the world's never not the world. And so it, it, it really is kind of, it's irresponsible for us to ever disengage or to uh, take a break, supposedly, from God in our in our walk with him. And so I want to talk about, I want to start in this new series on Sunday School for a little while. It's called Mission Possible. And this morning I want to talk about mission essential resources. All right. Exodus chapter one. I'm sorry. Exodus chapter three. I've said that three times now. Exodus chapter three. Now I want you to remember uh, where we are. the, The setting is going to be set in this very first verse. So you need to picture it in your mind. The Bible says, now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father in law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the what? Okay. And came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with what? But the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet. For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them out of the hand, I'm sorry, out of that land unto a good land, and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is coming to me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I, that I should go unto Pharaoh? 
and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he said, certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and say unto them, the God of your fathers hath sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, what's his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day, uh, Lord of life. And we thank you, Lord, for grace and health this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to open your word. We thank you for loving us that much that you would give us such a gift. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. We thank you, Father, for the gift of salvation through his name, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for forgiveness of sins through the blood of redemption. We thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit of, uh, of the Lord that lives and dwells in us, that guides us into all truth. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would fill me with your spirit, that you would help me to be your mouthpiece. And I pray, God, that you would give us as your people understanding that we would be used of God, that we would be usable. Lord, that we would burn and not be consumed. I pray, Lord, that you would give us today what you would have for us as your people. I pray that your Holy Spirit would have complete liberty and ask that you'd bless these that are here, minister to those that could not be here. And I pray that you would encourage your people. Help us, Lord, as a church to remember who we are, but more importantly, to remember who you are. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Every once in a while, it's important for a church body to reassess not only the health of the church, but the mission of the church. And sadly, our culture, by the way, with Satan's help, has cast a very bad light on the truth. It's cast a bad light on Christians um, and on churches who faithfully stand up for Jesus Christ um, and the true Christian way of life. By the way, praise the Lord for the Supreme Court's ruling on Roe v. Wade. Praise the Lord that there were at least five Supreme Court justices that decided that women do not actually have the right to kill children. It's not a part of the Constitution of the United States. And uh, though we may still have abortions in America, I want you to understand the real blessing is how many children won't die. Okay? Well, people will do it if they really, you know, the whole argument is people will have an abortion if they really want one. That's fine. And you I suppose you can't stop it. Like you can't stop murder. You can't stop car thievery. Okay. But you can do your utmost before God to try to make it more difficult. And that's the idea. So praise the Lord for that. And, 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 and even in that, every church and every Christian that decides to stand for that, you understand is going to have a bad light cast on them by society. They're going to be uh, misaligned. And in doing so, some Christians, because of this kind of discouragement, because of bad press, because of bad light, whatever, um, they've become discouraged in their faith. And others still have decided to compromise their faith. And some have decided just to abandon it altogether. Now, in the middle of that, I want us to remember that every church has a mission. Every church has an assignment, um, a mission, if you will, given to us by whom? The Lord Jesus Christ. It was his last will and testament, if you will, to minister to people who do not have the gospel, who do not know the gospel, and to give it to them. That's the mission of the church. This means that every assignment, no matter where it is, 
okay, no matter what it is, no matter where it is, is holy ground. Because God is there. It's also holy because the Lord Jesus self, uh, Jesus Christ is the one who gave it to us. Jesus gave himself uh, for the people who live wherever that assignment is. Right now, let me say it this way. Jesus gave himself for the people of Morgan Hill. Jesus gave himself for the people of San Martin. Jesus gave himself for the people of Gilroy, just like he gave himself for the people at Jerusalem and for the people of Judea and for the people of Samaria and in every other part of the earth. Would you agree to that? Now, every place then is important because God wants you and I to accomplish something supernatural there. Now, I want you to think about that. Every place where God has a Christian, especially where God has a church, a local assembled body of believers, every place is important to God because he wants all of us to accomplish something supernatural there. Now, I say that as it goes for me as a pastor, but also for all of us as a people. This area is special because ministry is needed here. I want you to think about that in your mind. Right now, in this time, it's special, and God wants us to accomplish what's special here, because like Queen Esther, you've come into this kingdom for such a time as this. God knew all of that. Now, it's one thing to remember things like that on a Sunday, isn't it? And it's another thing to remember things like that on a Monday through Saturday. Now, wait a minute. God, I don't like what I see. I don't like what I hear, and yet... You've got me here right now in the midst of all this for what? For something supernatural. For God to use us to minister to people who don't have the gospel. If you study the story of Moses, you'll find that he discovered that God's presence turns ministry into an adventure. He would argue with God. He would think himself that he was not the one, that there was certainly someone else that he needed to have, that he was insufficient, that everything around him was going to be insufficient in order to deliver the children of Israel. And yet God said, wait a minute, you're discounting the greatest resource that you have, me. Who am I? I?" He said, well, you're nobody but a bush. But you're the one that I've called, you're the one that I'm sending, and I want to do something through you. So though you may be the one representing me, it's not you're that's doing it. Remember, Moses is like, how am I supposed to deliver these people? And God's like, it ain't going to be you. And as soon as you read the Bible, you realize that God never said that Moses is the one that delivered. He always takes credit for himself. I'm the one. By my strong arm, I've delivered you. I'm the one that brought you out. Now, here's what I want you to remember. One preacher said it like this. Any old bush will do because it's not us doing something for God, but God doing something through us. And here's the cool part. You're not Moses. (laughs) Not even close. Um, By the way, you're not David. And you're not Paul. And the great thing is, you're not any of those people because God made you you. He doesn't want you to be Moses. He didn't want you to be Paul. He didn't want you to be David. Had he done that, he'd have put you in the Bible. He'd have put you in that circumstance. Instead, God put you where you are. And God made you the way that you are. Which means that you are needed. The way God made you, you are needed. Now look, Moses was like, I don't have anything to offer. 
I'm slow of speech. I'm sitting on the backside of the desert. I'm wanted for murder. You can read the account. He goes into, he's like, he's dealing out excuses, huh? Faster than a Vegas card dealer. He's dealing out excuses and God's just collecting them all. It's like, okay, I'm going to play this hand. Gin, you lose. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, that means that you are not only needed, that means that you are important. And when you accept all of those things, you and I can be empowered by God. And he wants to transform this place. He wants to transform our assignment into holy ground. And he wants us to realize that. He wants us to realize that we are not about circumstances. We are placed in circumstances so that people can see the God of all circumstances. That's the whole idea. Now, he wants to transform this assignment into holy ground. That is a place where he accomplishes supernatural achievements. Listen, through ordinary people. Now, I'm going to take a survey here this morning. How many in here are just ordinary people? My hand is up. Okay, I just want to see who the ordinary. Okay, how many are extraordinary? No? How many are subordinary? <laughs> okay, so just for the record, we're all just ordinary people. Okay, now, God wants to do special things through ordinary people. He doesn't pick super ordinary people. He picks ordinary people. He picks people, in fact, many times, who what we would say are even less than ordinary in order to do something supernatural. Can you give me a reason perhaps why? It's because God doesn't want anybody to get glory for themselves. It's so that it would be very apparent, wait a minute, how can this little dude take on this 10-foot giant and he's the one laying there and this little dude's now standing on top of his body holding up a bloody head? How's that even possible? Oh, with God all things are possible. How is that possible? How is it possible that a stuttering convict could stand with a staff and hold it up and, and the ocean part? And how could the land be dry? Oh, it's not because he's great. It's not because he has, he's a great orator. It's because he has a great God. So it would be apparent then, would it not? Now look, in order for that to take place, in order for things like that to take place, there are several resources that are available for every church, in, uh, for this church in this community. These resources are never limited by geography. What I'm going to give you. They're never limited by finances. They're never limited by facilities. And I'm going to say this, they're not limited by size. Okay? And there are, they are available for every church and every place. But God, because of his desire to use the church because he's the one that birthed the church. He's the one that loved the church. He's the one that died for the church, according to the Bible. Because the church belongs to him and it's his bride, he says, listen, I want to use you. I'm, I don't make mistakes. How many believe that? God doesn't make mistakes, okay? Now, that means that I've brought all kinds of different people to this one place because ministry is needed here. And I want to use the people whom I've brought to do something supernatural because of me. I'm just looking for those people. Now, those resources, what I'm going to give you then, are imperative for us, not only just to hear and realize, but to utilize and to use for the Lord's glory. So let me give you, and I'm going to give you in a very different kind of way, 
Number one, what's the first resource? Number one, the first resource for this church is that every congregation is unique. Every congregation is unique. Letter A, every congregation bears a likeness to all other churches, but each church has more distinctives than similarities. Now, let me just make sure that we understand what that is. There are a lot of churches that are open right now. There are a lot of churches that are having some kind of service or some kind of study or some kind of class right now that bear a similar cross. They have a similar structure. They have some pews. They have a PA. Uh, Their building is set up perhaps similar. They have a nursery. You understand what I'm saying. Um, They have different classes for age groups and things like that. They all have those. So we bear a lot of similarities that way. In fact, uh, there's another similarity. Some of us may... Uh, a lot of churches today, uh, hopefully most churches, will have a Bible, and they'll have a Bible, okay? And, and they'll use that Bible, hopefully, and, uh, and they'll have some form of song worship, all right? Uh, and those would be similarities in general, okay? But, but let's be real, um, every church is a little more distinctive in the way they worship, in the songs that they sing. You could say, for us, we're a little more distinctive than most, for instance, um, we don't have a band necessarily. We don't have all kinds of entertainment. We don't stand and, you know, shout and, and sing and have a rock concert for 30 or 45 minutes. And I'm not trying to say anything against anybody else's, you know, way of worship. I'm just saying we're distinctive in that way. Would you agree? We, we, don't, we don't have a worship style like that. We have a little different take on worship. So we're distinctive that way. We're also distinctive in the Bible that we use. We, re, we reserve the right to use the King James Bible. And there are several reasons for that. Mostly it's textual reliability and unity. And, and, and God has not just inspired, I believe, but he's preserved his word so that we can have it. And there's a reason, by the way, that the devil doesn't want all other kind of versions to say the same thing. Okay? So for unity's sake, what we want to ask is, listen, you could, and by the way, you've never heard me once say, you know what, you can't use that version of the Bible in our church. You've never one time heard me say that. People have come to me and said, I noticed that you use this version. Should I change? And I said, well, if you want to read what we're reading, if you want to read aloud what we're reading, then I would suggest yes. I said, but that's between you and the Lord. There, I can sit down and explain it to you or whatever. So what I'm saying is we're unique and it's okay that we're different. It's okay that we're different in ways that other churches are. See, there's a lot, there's a there's a myth that, that kind of hovers around some churches when they go through transitions or when things happen that all of a sudden we need to start being like another church. But wait a minute, one of the greatest resources as an individual is that you're different from me. And you're different from me. And you're different from one another. Why? So that no one of us can say it's all about us. So that we can say it's all about God. Somebody say amen. The idea is that God in his sovereignty has decided, look, there are all kinds of different people and there's going to be all kinds of different churches. Look in your, in, in your notes, 1 Corinthians 12, 5. And there are differences of administrations, but the same what? Lord. And there are diversities of what? Operations. But it is the same what? God, which worketh in what? Worketh in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. So God says, look, I, I don't have to have every church alike. Okay, that's kind of what makes me God. I can work through anybody 
who wants to be used of me. Does everybody get the idea? Okay, so the idea is our uniqueness is a strength. It's a resource that God wants us to use. Letter B, God gives, gives uniqueness to a church for, uh, for us to recognize and to use. I misspelled the word for there. Uh, to recognize and to use. All right, now think about this. Like a snowflake, our church has been created unlike any other church. Okay? Not just in our services or worship style, but because, listen, of you and I. All right? It's not just the structure of the church. What makes this church different is the people who make up the church. And God says, I'm the one who have made this church. Our church's uniqueness is a magnificently important factor that we need to identify, accept, and develop for this ministry in this place. Now watch, God knows us better than we do. And his desire is not to make us something that we are not. I would never ask any of you to be just like me or anybody else. You are uniquely you. And when the uniqueness of a church is not realized as a resource, it becomes a, it becomes a hindrance. Okay, here's what the devil does. Why aren't we like said church? Why don't we do it like that church? Okay, here's the answer. Because we're not that church. Okay, what we want to do is we want to please and honor God. How many are with me? All right, and that means that he wants us to do that. In our unique way. So the first resources is that every congregation is unique. Secondly, every church needs the loving relationship of a pastor. That is a resource. Now let me explain very carefully. Sometimes people don't see it, but every pastor knows this. That much like a marriage requires people to love each other unconditionally in order to build a strong marriage. So a church needs to be loved by its pastor and to love its pastor in return. This is a relationship. Um, this relationship is built on communication. It's built on care. It's built on love. It's built on sharing. It's built on encouraging. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a relationship. It's a living thing. Um, I've talked to many, many different people, and a lot of them uh, have never had a relationship with their pastor. They've been to churches, but they don't really know their pastor a lot. And, and I don't, that's foreign to me, and that's between that pastor and somebody else. But I want you to know that I don't want anybody to feel foreign around a pastor. I want them to see pastors are normal people. Well, semi-normal. <laughs> We're normal people. We have emotions. We have feelings. We have needs. We have responsibilities. We, we have obligations like everybody else does. And, and, and it's a relationship that has to work, but we have to work at it, just like a marriage. Letter A, the relationship must be reciprocal. That means I'm supposed to love you as a Christian, and that means that you're supposed to love me as a Christian. I'm supposed to love you as a pastor loves his people. That means that you're supposed to love me as people who love their pastor, all right? Now, by the way, this isn't a self-promoting message. This is just a fact. Um, Paul said, I love you like a nurse, a nurse that cherisheth uh, those that she's caring to, okay? So, the, the fact of the matter is the care of the church is the responsibility of the pastor. And part of that care is love. And, and what I mean by reciprocal is that it goes two ways. Now, by the way, if I don't show you love, it's probably not going to be easy for you to show it back, huh? But if I show you love, I should be able to, respect, to expect in a return. That makes sense. Because that's what the relationship is. By the way, that's any Christian. Jesus said, love your enemies. Good night. If you can't treat me like a friend or a pastor, at least treat me like an enemy. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I'm not your enemy because I tell you the truth. 
the idea is that the, the love relationship is reciprocal. Secondly, that relationship must be without respect to persons. Now, let me explain that. We, first of all, let me say this. We need to love each other. Okay? We need to love each other. I need to love you. You need to love me. But we need to love each other. Somebody say amen. We need to love each other. Okay? We need to love each other. And here's how. And this, so let me just talk this way. Okay? From me to you, you to me. We need to love each other equally. We need to love each other always. We need to love each other without pretense. We need to love each other without prejudice. We need to love each other without expectation, listen, or condition. Now let's go back and just think, let's transfer this to your marriage. These are all things that you would say, yeah, this is how I want to be loved by my spouse and how God says they're supposed to love me. Now remember this, 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter, wasn't written for married people. It was written for Christians. That's the love that God says we're supposed to have uh, without expectation or condition. Our love as a pastor and people is not a contract. It's a commitment. That's totally different. It's a living relationship with the power of God at the foundation. Listen to 1 Corinthians 13. Charity suffereth how long? Long. It doesn't say short, does it? It doesn't say, I'm only going to love you for 10 years. Does it? How long have y'all been married, Bob? Okay. Aren't you glad, Sandy, that Bob didn't say at the wedding altar, I, I love you, and it's, it's a 30-year, like a tire. It's 80,000 miles, a 30-year warranty. You know. After that, you're kind of on your own. You may need to pick up a spare. <laughs> you know. That, that's not the idea. It's not a contract. There's no limitations. It's not a contract. It's a living relationship. Watch. Charity suffereth long. Look at the, look at the Bible. And is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It's never puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. It's not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they are going to fail. And they have. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. And they have. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. But love never t- never goes away. He, he says of, of faith, hope, and charity, the greatest of these is charity or unconditional love. That's the love that we've got to have. That is, listen, a resource. Do you understand that? When things go wrong, that is a resource to draw from. Wait a minute. I don't like, then in love, let's deal with it. Because letter C is it almost it must also be redemptive redemptive what does that mean well it means that every wrong between us has to be righted it means that every fault must be confessed and forgiven all hatred envy and strife must be put out of the church for one reason so that satan never has a foothold never matthew eighteen fifteen. moreover if thy brethren shall trespass against thee go and tell him his fault between them and him alone if he shall hear thee thou hast gained thy brother but if he will not hear thee then take him one uh, take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established and if he if he shall neglect to hear them t- t- tell it to the church but if he neglect to hear the church then let him be unto thee as an healing heathen man and a publican what's the idea the idea here is god says listen because i'm and by the way 
two chapters before this, Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. Now, two chapters after that, he says, let me just tell you the importance of it. Nobody should have ought. You go to the altar and remember that you have ought with thy brother. Leave there thy gift and go and, and redeem your brother. Make it right. Ye that are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, lest thou also be tempted. The, the fact of the matter is, everywhere in the Bible, whether it's marriage, whether it's between brother and sister, whether it's between pastor and people, wrongs have to be righted. And unconditional love has to remain without conditions. It has to. That's a resource, okay? Because Paul said, the greatest of anything that you can have in your church is love. Love. Every church is unique. That's a resource. Every church needs a loving relationship with a pastor. Love within a church is exactly like love within a marriage. It must be attended to with purpose and diligence and genuine care or else it, what? Fades away. If you're not purposeful in it. Listen to the statement. Sheep grow restless without an attentive shepherd. Okay? And a shepherd will grow discouraged with uneasy sheep. All right? That's a great picture of the pastor and the people that he's called the pastor. The resource that we have is not only that we're unique and different, but that we have a love and we need to foster that love. Do you, would you agree with me? Okay. Thirdly, Another resource is that every church needs Bible preaching. Every church needs Bible preaching. And we're going to stop here. I'm going to pick this up next week and we're going to finish this. And I, I'm sorry, keep your outlines. I, 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 I just don't want to take too much time into the, I know what I need to say in the next three points and it, it's just not enough time, okay? But there are, this, this resource from this one on, they're just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger, Okay? Every church needs Bible preaching. Letter A, God has preserved the Bible as a supernatural guide for life and faith. How many believe that? Okay. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Am I using that light? Do I have that light? Am, am I shining that light? Second Peter 119, we, all, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do, uh, you do well that you take heed, watch, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day, uh, day star arise in your hearts. Here's the sad part about it. Sadly, many people consider the Bible and preaching as lifeless and out of date. There are some people that just don't like preaching, okay? That, that's just the facts. They, don't, they, they would say, uh, I don't do well with preaching. Or I, I've heard parents say this, my kids don't do well in preaching. I don't understand that statement. I don't. Because I've seen a lot of kids do well in preaching. Um, I don't think I'm an extremely difficult preacher to understand. I try to make it as plain and low shelf as I possibly can. Nevertheless, some, some people have reserved that, that, uh, you know, that little pocket of thought or idealism or whatever that says you know, preaching is kind of lifeless and it's, it's out of date. We need small groups. We need to be around other people to tell us their opinion. Well, let me just give you the definition of preaching the definition, the technical definition or even biblical definition of preaching is one person anointed by God that studies the scripture that gives the sense of the scripture. That's all that it is. It's not, thank you, Dave. It's not 75 people sitting in a room giving their opinion of what they think the Bible says. That's not what preaching is. Okay, It never has been that. 
The Bible says that Paul tarried and preached all stinking night long. It wasn't Paul saying, hey, what do you think about this? And hey, what do you think about this? And hey, what do you think about that? What do you think Jesus meant when he said this? No, he said, thus saith the Lord, all right? No, nobody ever interrupted Isaiah and say, well, I disagree, or Jeremiah. They were like, no, thus saith the Lord. This is what God says in his word. If he wanted us, if he wanted to say something else, don't you think he'd have said it? That's the idea. So that's the, that's the baseline definition of preaching. When you come to the scripture, it's, it's Bible truth heralded. It's announced. And, and it's not, it's not self-authority. It's his authority. That's Bible preaching. Here's what you need to remember. Letter B, preaching is one of God's favorite ways of communicating to his people. It's one of his favorite ways. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the preaching of the cross to them that perish is foolishness, but to us which are saved, it's the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.21, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. I love the statement, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Okay? What people call out of date, irrelevant, or foolishness, God says, that's exactly what I'm going to use to confound the wise. That's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to take what you think is useless, preaching, and I'm going to use it. Watch this. I'm going to take the people that you think are different and you've marked, and I'm going to use them. Because then they can get no glory. It's all my doing. You see that? God, one of God's favorite ways is to use preaching. Let me ask you this. Has God ever spoken to you through preaching? Oh, I hope so. I hope so. I hope countless times you have somewhere in a journal or some outline where you have stars or highlights and you just think, whoa, I remember. I remember when God spoke to me in that message. By the way, I hope he does today. I hope he does when we talk about grace here in a little bit. Um, sound uh, letter C, sound biblical preaching can help every hearer and every preacher grow. Sound. Now, what, am I, what do I mean by sound preaching? Somebody help me. Sound biblical preaching. What do I mean by that? <laughs> uh, truth. Something is sound. Solid. Strong, has a good foundation, right? And what's our foundation? That book, right? So sound biblical preaching can help every hearer and every preacher grow. This is an asset. Remember, this is a resource. Remember, keep the context. We have an assignment by God here in this place. That means it's holy ground. God says, I'm giving you resources. I, I, and I want you to understand your first resource is you. The way that you are, not what you used to be, not what you're going to be right now, you right now, because look, let's face it. Moses on that mountain was not who he was going to be and not for a long time, for a long shot, but something happened to Moses after a couple miracles were performed right in front of his eyes. He started to believe, didn't he? He started to say, whoop. (laughs) And, and by the way, if there was anybody that knew that it wasn't them doing it all, it was Moses. If anybody knew that he had nothing to do with that snake, nothing to do with that blood, nothing to do with those lice, nothing to do with those frogs, it was Moses. All right? So that by the time he could get out there, he knew. If God said, raise the staff, raise the staff. If God said, put the brazen serpent up, raise the brazen serpent. If God said to march around, march around. He knew that. Right? Why? 
Because it was just a matter of him growing. How did he grow? Through the word of God. Through God continually giving him his word. 1 Timothy 4.16 Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. Watch this. For in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Who's he talking to? A preacher. First Timothy, or 2 Timothy 4.2 So what's he tell him? Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. I love this quote. People are ripe for a voice that gives them something significant worth living and dying for. And that's true today as it was when it was written. The idea that we are in a place that God cannot work or that God is not working is a lie. Okay? We're in a place where God wants to work. We're in a place that God is looking to work. And he doesn't do it without a bush. He doesn't do it without a Moses. He doesn't do it without a Joshua. He doesn't do it without an Abigail. There, there are a myriad of people in the Bible that you can all read about in Hebrews chapter 11. Who by faith. Okay. All he's looking for are the people to whom he can work through. That makes this place holy ground. Would you agree? Okay. Next Sunday, we'll finish these next few points. Let's have a word of prayer. Thank you, God, for being so gracious and merciful to us. Thank you for your holy word. Thank you, God, for the opportunity today we've had to study it. Now, Lord, I pray that you would use this week and next week together, that you would knit our hearts with your Holy Spirit. Help us to remember, uh, Lord, the amazing resources that you've given to us in this place. And I pray that we would use them and that you, Lord, would use us. I pray that you'd have all of us today. I pray that each of us would just present our bodies living sacrifices, wholly acceptable to our God for our reasonable service. And I pray that you'd be pleased. Bless the remainder time to, that we have together today. Bless our service in Jesus' name. Amen.